Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I wanted to talk about the subject of religion today. I don't mean necessarily like world religions and varied religions. I want to talk about the spirit of religion. Religion being that thing that wants to control you, provide parameters. You have to live within confines, restrictions that are meant to subdue you and restrict you and diminish you as opposed to bring life. The spirit of religion is looking for what's wrong, ways that you deserve to be punished, ways that you failed to show up, things that you're missing or lacking. That's the nature of it. I want to talk about this thing because, unfortunately, this is not a unique thing in my experience. This is something most people in any organized religion, but including the Christian church, religion tends to be a pretty pronounced experience. And the sad piece is a lot of the people who are so entrenched in that spirit don't realize <laughs> that that's what's happening. They don't get it. I know I, I know I didn't get it for a long time. I actually thought people who operated outside of this spirit were unruly and rebellious and untrustworthy and dangerous and deceived, right? And there was all this, all these labels and judgments against people who weren't living according to the same restrictions that I had agreed to. That is the nature of that spirit. And it is offensive. Like, People who don't live under that are offensive to the people who, who do. And that's typically um, true of most spiritual agreements. If someone is in league with a spirit, other people who are in league with that same spirit are going to you know, find a common ground and a, a connection there. That's not awesome, probably, unless it's coming from truth and love and it's beautiful. Um, and the people who don't agree with that spirit, they're going to find probably offensive, threatening, uncomfortable, whatever. Right? So... Um, I was first introduced to religion, the spirit of religion, when I was first taken to Sunday school as a child. My parents got saved when I was four, and when they came back from a business trip, they decided to take us to church that Sunday morning. So for the first time ever, I'd never been to church before, I went to Sunday school. And I remember it vividly. It was in this certain kind of room, the stairs went down a bit, and I remember the... Sunday school teacher was a massive woman. She was huge, and she was wearing this, you know, this dress. Um, and I remember when she hugged us, like we would just kind of get enveloped by her body mass. You just kind of like disappear for a little bit, and you just knew you needed to survive the encounter, and then it would be over shortly, and you were okay. Like that was a big normal <laughs> experience with this teacher. And she was the one to introduce me to the Bible and to the idea of Jesus and salvation and eternity and sin and forgiveness and hell and heaven. Like, I didn't know any of that stuff. And I learned about all of it in one fell swoop. And it was probably a bit overwhelming. Um, the story goes something like this. All of you, you four-year-old children here, you're all dirty sinners. You're born evil and wicked. You have a sin nature, and so you are disconnected from God, and that was not supposed to happen. Right? And Adam and Eve, of course, come up in this conversation. 
And so Jesus came and he died on the cross and his blood shed. And you're like, what? What? Did, this guy got nailed to a cross? This is horrible. Just the idea of nails going through someone's body was already just so shocking. And then his blood had to be spilled out. We're like, why did he have to die? This is so gruesome and terrifying. And, and he had to because of me. It's my fault that this man needed to be punished and brutally, you know, slaughtered and uh, that was a lot to take in, and I'm like, you know, having to sort through, like, why, and who decided this, and where is this coming from, and, oh, I'm so sad, that's awful, because as a kid, you don't have a ton of critical thinking faculties, you're more just like, oh, this is, this adult is telling me something that's true, and now this is my fault, and I get to feel guilty, and it's horrible, and um, the people who don't believe in Jesus go to this place called hell. Hell is this fiery place that you go to in eternity, and eternity is a place outside of time where nothing stops, nothing ends. It goes on forever, so your body will not burn up or break down or die. It will burn and burn and continue to burn for eternity, meaning you'll be in torment for an unending existence. That's a lot of stuff to take in as a four-year-old. I mean, those concepts are pretty far-reaching. And that sounded like a terrifying prospect. And so you're immediately going to, oh my gosh, do my mom and dad, did they believe in Jesus? Does my sister believe in Jesus? Do my grandparents believe this? Because I don't want them to go to hell, right? Um, and then she concludes this whole thing with, I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. And she concludes this whole thing with, the only way to not go to hell is if you invite Jesus into your heart and you ask him to save you and to be your Lord and Savior. Um, and to forgive you for your sins and who wants to do that? And all of our hands popped up. Right. And of course we're doing the thing. Um, thus began my indu induction into the religious world. And so I got to study how to behave and what to do and what not to do and what to avoid and what to celebrate and uphold and what to oppose. It came with all these requirements and restrictions and expectations and demands. And I didn't realize until, you know, years later, this was exhausting. But you don't know that it's exhausting because you don't know anything else, right? And you look at the people who don't have to do this and they just seem so unruly and out of control. And like their lives are messy and they're twisted and evil and they don't know God and God doesn't love them. And obviously these are terrible messages that aren't supposed to be communicated to you, but they kind of end up erected somewhere. Anyway, I remember the first time I started realizing that I might actually be a bit religious, like sincerely, because um, I think I prided myself on not necessarily being that way, but um, I was in second year at BSSM, and I was arguing with my roommate, who was in first year at the time, over some things in the Bible and theology and the goodness of God, and I could feel myself like, I mean, my voice would raise in these conversations because I'm passionately trying to reason together with this guy like what is true what is the bible actually saying what does it look like to walk this out and a lot of his responses weren't very biblical i mean they didn't have a ton of scriptural background he was coming to me with compassion and mercy and grace and i'm like okay yeah, those are all great ideas but what about in scripture what are you talking about where does that fit and how do you justify your stance on this or whatever right um and i think our this all came to a head when we were arguing about trusting God and the nature of what it looks like to trust God. And I was like, of course I trust God. And, you know, we're going back and forth about this. And he had a concept and an idea and an experience about trust that was contrary to mine, at least up to that point. And he kept relating to God as if God was going to take care of him. And that was super offensive to me. <laughs> I kept talking about God, like God was going to help manage details in his life and help steward his responsibility and carry things out for him and 
I'm like, man, God's not going to do that. You have to do that. And, you know, there's just such a contrast there. And I came across, in my mind, as the more responsible one, the more studious, serious, devoted, committed Christian in this conversation. But somewhere in these conversations, at one point, I remember me, like, demanding that he prove himself or justify something. And I realized that what he was advocating for in this conversation was actually so much better than what I was advocating for. His had so much more peace and rest and trust in it. And mine had angst and anxiety and struggle and striving and performance and control. And I started becoming conscious in that moment of this addiction I had to things that would guarantee me results I wanted, um, ways that I could secure certain outcomes to make sure that the results were going to be what I wanted to take place. Right. Um, and I just all of a sudden became conscious for the first time, like, Oh, there's something going on on my end. That isn't good. Like this is not God. This thing is controlling and exacting and its energy is hot and sharp and suffocating. I was like, Oh, I think I'm missing something. And as soon as I became aware of that, something in my heart shifted. And I then actually submitted to this other person. I was like, I think he knows something. I don't, I don't think he's the best at explaining it. I don't think he knows how to articulate it the best, but in the spirit, I think he's actually like connected to something that I haven't yet to understand. So I took the seat of a student and instead of fighting him after this conversation, I actually then started allowing what he was saying to be true, like to consider it. And it started to infiltrate my perspective and my experience. And as I stopped opposing his idea and started like becoming more susceptible to the possibility of what he's saying, I started realizing that what he was saying was actually proving itself out in the life in the world that I lived in all around me. And I started noticing just evidence and little bits and pieces. And I'd come home every day and be like, Oh my gosh, this happened today. And I heard this person say this. And I saw this thing. And, and I just kind of share with him. Like, I think you're right. I think I'm seeing what you were saying. And he's like happily and humorously enjoying m- me falling down the stairs, you know, <laughs> um, which led me on a journey. And I got to go deconstruct some really strong, pillars of belief in my heart of what was right about my relationship with God and what I owed God and how I was supposed to measure up to him and what I was responsible for on my end of that relationship. And there was so much in my bag that I had written my name on and taken responsibility for that actually in scripture is explained, doesn't belong to me. It's not up to me. Things like, um, I mean like the trust thing, for example, I didn't trust the Lord because I needed my job. Or I needed people to approve of me, or I needed to not step on other people's toes, or I needed to, uh, you know, stay within certain systems or confines that were going to take care of me because I didn't know if God would. Like these kinds of idols, if you will. And I'm not saying that systems or confines or jobs are bad. They're not. But the reason we relate to them and the reason they have value to us determines if that thing is life-giving or the other thing, right? And so I started realizing, like, I've got some stuff on my end that I very much value and uphold that are not submitted to God. I'm using them in spite of God or as an alternative to who God could be in my life and what he could have authority in, in my heart. And so I started getting to, like, repent from this stuff, which was not fun. It was scary, When you consider something different than you've always known and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, that is a terrifying prospect. And if you don't know the person on the other side of this experience loves you and is going to take care of you and is able to do that, it's not a fun thing, right? But I would like to argue for every single one of us listening to this, if we want a genuine, authentic relationship with the Lord 
it is going to be um, exhibiting attributes of risk. You are going to have to make choices that you don't know the outcome of what that choice is going to be. You don't get to control what the result is going to be. All you get to do is trust and obey, which is like cliche Sunday school songs. We sing about that, right? But the thing is, that is true. We get to trust that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and then we obey him regardless of the circumstances or the appearances, and then we let him work out the details. And, um, you know, the lessons started out smaller at first, and they continued to grow, and they continue to grow where things get challenged in my life, things I don't have control over, things I can't change myself. And they each get to beg the question, is he still faithful? Is God still good? Is he still able to take care of you? Do you think he's still going to stick around in this situation? What about when this happens? What if we take this away? What if this thing doesn't take place? Is he still who you think he is, right? Um, And so the tests, I think, have gotten bigger and bigger, but I've also found to my great delight that my resolve has also gotten bigger and bigger. And I would say the growth in the resolve has surpassed the growth of the circumstances. Um, And so it feels really comforting to see that the increase that comes in our intimacy with the Lord is far surpassing whatever the external world or the enemy can throw at you when it's actually him, when it's God, right? And when we're casting our lot with him, we're allowing him to take ground in our hearts. And so um, there is this thing called religion in the world that likes to highlight and accentuate what's wrong with you, what you owe people or God or what you're indebted for and what you need to fix or change. And this is your job and it's your responsibility. And look at how you're not doing it. And the awareness of the gap or the deficit just continues to grow. And there is no grace or empowerment for you to actually change. It's only there to condemn you, to reduce you, (laughs) to keep you in bondage. Um, And this is not the gospel. This is not what Jesus paid for. This is not the glad tidings of great joy that would be for all people, right? (laughs) This is not the savior. And so it's actually really, it's essential for every single one of us walking with Jesus to recognize that he's a person, he's not a set of rules, he's not a lifestyle choice, he's not practices or a club, he's a person, and he comes with expression, which obviously brings structure and direction and dynamic that we say yes to and that kind of overflows out of us. But without the risk of being willing to trust him and for things to get messy, we miss out on the authentic relationship with a person who genuinely loves us and is not afraid of, I'm putting quotes on this, breaking the rules. Not all rules are bad, but usually the reason we need rules is because we're trying to control something outside of our own willpower, right? And so the Lord is not interested in... um, erecting rules to keep us in line and to externally motivate us. Um, His commandments are there to help give us insider secrets on how to maximize the experience we're having in this thing he gave us called life. Um, And religion will never get us there. Uh, The law actually has the ministry of death. And it is the thing that causes us to become aware of what's wrong with us, what we've done wrong, what's missing, how we don't measure up. And it doesn't give us any power to change. Truth and grace came by Jesus to empower us to be what we were always supposed to be, what he intended, and what he wants expressed in his people. It's not on the side of the law. It's on the side of grace. And so there is a risk here because when you do the grace thing, when you step into that side of the world, (laughs) and when you step into reality, uh, you stop using external um, parameters to measure stuff and having a standard over you that you can control and guarantee. And it starts becoming a dependence and a trust and a sensitivity to the nature of love himself and letting him show you what it looks like to actually be you today. Terrifying, scary, super adventurous, a massive risk, but absolutely worth it when it's him that we're relating to. 
Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.